Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack, today taping from Columbus, Ohio, and on today's show, SoftBank finally takes a stand on Saudi Arabia, sort of, and something I've learned here in Columbus about the future of robotics. But first, weaponizing social media. Before Jamal Khashoggi was murdered earlier this month in the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, he had been dealing with an army of social media trolls that a friend of his told the New York Times was like, quote, sustained gunfire online. And Khashoggi wasn't alone, as it was also something experienced by other critics of the Saudi government, all apparently emanating out of a so-called troll farm in Riyadh, created by the crown prince Mohammed bin Salman. And they weren't alone, as all sorts of other regimes in other countries have begun using social media to silence and intimidate critics. Some are authoritarian, like when the Myanmar military used Facebook to build public support for ethnic cleansing. Now, some is done in democracies, like in Mexico, where political parties use bots and fake accounts to influence political elections there. And some are done by authoritarian governments to affect elections in democracies, as we saw with Russia in the US two years ago, and who knows, maybe next week. The bottom line here is tech companies and social media companies are paying attention and trying to fight this, but they've often been either too lax or too slow. Misinformation has always been a key component of bad political actors, but it's social media, which can be manipulated so easily via smartphones, that is probably the most powerful misinformation tool ever created. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on this with Sarah Fisher, Axios Media Reporter. But first, this. Axios Chief Technology Correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech, from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to Get Smarter Faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. We're joined now by Sarah Fisher, Axios media reporter who wrote about authoritarian regimes using misinformation via social media this morning on the website. So, Sarah, what was the most surprising thing you found? I think that when you talk to some of the researchers from the forensics lab at The Atlantic or some of the other places, they do seem alarmed by the scale at which this is happening. But they also all seem to have a pretty sound historical perspective, which is that this shouldn't be surprising. You know, technology tends to be weaponized by bad actors or oppressive regimes that are trying to exert control over others. But what this should be is a signal to regulators that we need to step in probably sooner than we had thought. And when you say the regulators need to step in, we're talking here about U.S. businesses, which provide software that's being used in other countries. What can regulators actually do? There's a lot of things you could do. So around the world, a lot of countries have different approaches. Some countries are looking at, you know, whether or not you can find a certain company or platform for content that's on their site or whatever. We're talking about people who want to enforce more privacy restrictions, people who want to make different thresholds so you couldn't necessarily upload a bajillion accounts at once. There are some people who say that we should have stricter barriers to entry with different social media platforms so that it's harder to fake accounts. There's a lot of things that you could do with social media and to regulate it so that you don't have governments that are weaponizing it. But I think the biggest thing that we could do is also just holding these platforms accountable and trying to get them to self-regulate because we're not going to have laws that are passed all around the world tomorrow. But in the meantime, we can't have elections happening in Brazil 
or in Mexico or in the United States or around the world be tempered with this because platforms just, quite frankly, aren't acting fast enough? Well, let me ask about two things, and I'll come back to the U.S. in a minute since we have elections coming up in a week. But take the example of Myanmar, right? And, and Facebook's obviously, I think, rightly gotten a lot of criticism for its slow response there, the fact that it didn't have people on the ground who, who spoke the language, who understood what was really happening. Do you think that has chastened Facebook enough that there is not another Myanmar somewhere right now that is using Facebook in a similar way? Or is that probably happening somewhere else and it's just always one step behind? Oh, it's probably happening somewhere else, and it's just always one step behind. And Facebook knows that. I mean, they call this an arms race. They are aware that there's always going to be bad actors, and in many cases, people who are tied to the government or state-backed actors who are trying to meddle in elections. I think about what's happening in Brazil. You know, there are elections coming up within the next few days. There have been reports that businessmen linked to one of the candidates is funding some mass dissemination of false news on WhatsApp, which is a Facebook-owned property. So we know that it's happening. Facebook has said and admitted that they, in some cases, have been too slow to act when it comes to kind of clamping down on ways that governments or regimes or businesses linked to those regimes have abused its platform to either sway elections or to squash dissent. WhatsApp is interesting, right, because it's not a public platform in the same way that Facebook is. Facebook owns it, but it's not that sort of way. It's basically a, a private messaging system. And there's nothing that I know of that if I happen to send you a text with false information that prevents you from getting that text or warns you that the information's wrong. Is there anything on something like WhatsApp that Facebook can actually do? There is, and they've been doing some things. So one is limiting the amount of people in which you can forward a message to. Maybe some other thoughts that people have thrown out there. Limit the number of people to a group. WhatsApp, I think the group limit is 250 people for some of them. I mean, if you were to blast out some sort of fake news to 250 people, that's going to be pretty effective. So maybe Facebook changes that infrastructure and has it be, you know, just 20 people or 10 people. There is a lot of stuff that they can do. But if you talk to some experts and researchers on this, they'll say, it's really hard to measure how bad the problem is because a lot of these messaging platforms are encrypted end to end. So even if Facebook were to clamp down on ways that fake news can spread on messaging, in order to measure the effectiveness of it, truly, these researchers have to go into the field and just ask people word of mouth, what are you hearing and what are you seeing? And quite frankly, that's how they're measuring it at this point. We have elections coming up uh, very, very, very soon here in the U.S. We've had some talk from some officials about how there's been, you know, attempts at foreign interference, et cetera. And, and obviously the, there's individual stories out there that aren't accurate. That said, are you hearing about any sort of kind of major fake news, uh, Twitter bot sort of campaigns here in the U.S. similar to what you mentioned in Brazil? Or is it the sort of thing you think we're going to find out about or realize in hindsight, but we don't see, unfortunately, before we go to the ballot box? Well, we know that the platforms have uncovered some stuff. They said that they found us campaigns from state-backed actors, they believe, in Iran and Russia that have been trying to meddle in the 2018 elections. The DOJ just pressed charges on someone from Russia who they believe was trying to meddle in the 2018 elections using social media. So we know it's happening right now, but we also know that the platforms are being a lot more vigilant this time around, not only using more content moderators, but also, quite frankly, just better AI to get rid of some of this stuff. But of course, they're not going to catch everything. So I wouldn't be surprised if we find out a few months from now, hey, there was an ongoing campaign from a state-backed actor whether that's Russia or Iran, to meddle in this year's election. That just, to me, seems like it's sort of an obvious thing that is probably going to happen. When we talk about authoritarian regimes, when we talk about Saudi Arabia or places like that, is there an argument to be made that a company like a Facebook should simply say, we're not doing business there. Our platform is not going to run there, either because the government has abused the privilege of it or because we don't think our platform will operate the way it should in your country? 
there's absolutely a case to be made for that. One, Facebook has banned some military officials in Myanmar from using some of its platforms because they've found that they've been abused. But two, when I talked to academics yesterday and the few days leading up to that piece, they were saying, look, Facebook is a company and not just Facebook, Twitter and other social media platforms that were born in the United States and were created under the guise of a government that is democratic and is not, you know, one where they had to anticipate some of these really autocratic abuses. And so when you go into a government in Myanmar or in Saudi Arabia or elsewhere, you have to anticipate ways that your platform is going to be abused. And what these researchers were saying is that they don't think that these platforms anticipated how bad the problem would be. If they had, they would have had more content moderators. They would have waited till their AI was better. They would have waited, quite frankly, until they had better services translated into other language. We've hearing cases where Facebook help or flagging bad content isn't even translated into the native language where the abuse is being performed. So I definitely think that Facebook and other platforms, Twitter, et cetera, need to be thinking about what is the most prepared I can be before I head into a new country where, quite frankly, the regime might be oppressing people with this technology. So the lesson is, if if you've got an election coming up soon in your country, uh, go to MySpace and nothing but MySpace. My final two after this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique Smart Brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata podcast. Now it's time for my final two, and we go back to Saudi Arabia for this Future Investment Initiative Conference that kicked off earlier today. Now, this is an event we have talked a lot about and about how all these big Western business and political leaders pulled out last week due to the Khashoggi murder. But the most notable holdout so far was Masayoshi Son, CEO of SoftBank, a huge investment firm that raised $45 billion from the Saudis to back big tech companies like Uber and WeWork. Now, SoftBank still refuses to comment publicly, but the Wall Street Journal this morning reported that Masa will no longer speak, although maybe he'll still attend and talk to people on the sidelines. Again, SoftBank won't say. They won't even say if he got on a plane. The bottom line here is that Masa is one of the most daring executives in technology, if not business as a whole. He lost almost all his fortune in the dot-com crash, gained it back through a very smart investment early on in Alibaba, and then reinvested, started going bigger when a lot of other people would have gone home. This time, though, he's refused to publicly either support or criticize his partner. He's followed instead of led, and it's the opposite of the bold behavior he had been known for. Finally, yesterday in Columbus, I met with a company called Ready Robotics, which is building a kind of Windows-like operating system for factory robots. Uh, Basically, it lets people on the factory floor easily program all those robotic arms without using complicated code or devices. They use a touchscreen with a flowchart on it. Anyway, this company was originally based in Baltimore, so I asked the CEO why it had decided to relocate and grow in Columbus, and his answer was simple customers. He says most of America's factories are still in the Midwest and at worst a day's drive from Columbus. And it's the sort of tech business, he said, that would really struggle to succeed on the coasts, which is where almost all other tech companies refuse to leave. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Adam Gracia, have a great national Boston cream pie day. Go Red Sox, beat the Dodgers tonight, and we will be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata podcast.